This episode of The Holistic Voice was made possible by Old Fox. If you're looking for a fun way to impress your colleagues in rehearsal while enjoying some creative visuals and eye-grabbing design, your answer is Old Fox. Owner and soprano Lauren Urquhart designs a variety of cheeky music-themed shirts, posters, bags, and more for singers and opera fanatics in your life. Jordan and I have loved geeking out over some of these gifts, like the punny Richard Straust out mugs to a score tote bag in Baron Rider Blue, and my personal favorite, a t-shirt that you can bring to family parties that reads, No, I don't want to sing for you. Head over to etsy.com slash shop slash oldfox. That's O-L-D-F-A-C-H-S. No spaces. To support this amazing small business by a singer for singers. And when you use code The Holistic Voice, all capital letters and no spaces, you'll receive 10% off of your first order. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of The Holistic Voice. Austin and Jordan here talking about navigating a professional career in the gigging and event scene. We're talking weddings, corporate events, restaurants, parties, more with a very, very cool guest. I'm excited that we get to talk about a very real and consistent part of our industry today. Jordan, what's going on? Hey, Austin. It's been great. Yeah, up to a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. Um, do you have anything going on, Austin? Um, I am singing along with all the cicadas here in the uh, greater Washington area, the D.C. area. It is just like, <laughs> it's been insane the past couple of days. There have been swarms of them uh, all around the area, but it's been uh, actually very peaceful, like like a white noise machine or, or yeah. something while, while you're sleeping. It's been it's been very cool. Wow, um, and that's that's pretty rare, right? For, for the cicadas to be acting up like that, it only happens every so, certain amount of years. Yeah, apparently every 17 years. I mean, there's like broods. Obviously, I think they come every year, but like this is like a huge swarm of them. And so, uh, mm. yeah, it's been a very unique uh, type of thing that, that this area has seen. I know there's little pockets all across the nation, but it's been really cool. I mean, we, you see all the memes about it online, but it's really cool to see yeah. it in person with all this stuff. So yeah, no, that's been going on. And, uh, I can't believe it. I, um, we, uh, first time in person, I had a rehearsal because I'm doing an audition for, um, uh, for a competition that's coming up with, if you can believe it. Um, so I met with my pianist and we were, uh, you know, going through all the music and it was really refreshing to be in person and, oh, and doing that kind of work. It's been really cool. Yeah, it's um, got to feel so good. It, it feels really good. Um, and you know what, Jordan, something I was thinking about that we really don't do too much on. I know that we talk about a lot about our musical life, um, but if it's okay with you, I think that there are there have been significant personal events that our listeners would love to follow along with because as important it is to have our musical endeavors kind of showcased as we go along in our career, it's also pretty important to know that we're balancing a real life with that too. And so I know that we talk on the phone about it, but you had a pretty big event come up in your life as well, right? What's that? No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> I, yeah, so I had the birth of my second daughter this past month. Um, yeah, so she turns six weeks this oh week. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely amazing. What's her name? That's Nora. Nora. Um, oh. Her sister Alice is thrilled to be an older sister. It's It's been a lot of fun, you know, a lot less sleep, but it's been a blast. <laughs> It is it is amazing to hear uh, a huge huge congratulations to you and the family for something like that. Thank you. Um, and and really we got we have to get you on an episode talking about balancing your your career and your life and and all that stuff. We we will we got to hit on that. So yeah, I'm, maybe I'm very... when I get it figured out, I'll, yeah. I'll jump on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll, we'll get you on with a with a roundtable discussion of of other parents. Um, but I just you know I just wanted to share that because. Uh, for all of our listeners, you know, we are real people too, and, and we want you to follow along with that fun stuff. But anyway, um, I think it's time to definitely introduce our very talented guest for today. 
which is uh, Jacob Khalil. He is a New York City-based songwriter, singer, and piano entertainer. He does it all. He uh, has had some pretty exciting events in his own life. He's been a headlining act in the Tuscany Casino in Las Vegas. He shared the stage with Gladys Knight, Frank Wildhorn, Morbin Tabernacle Choir. So he's all across the board as a talent um, and as a session vocalist. He's been featured on projects with uh, Disney Music Publishing, T.C. Christensen Films, and much more. He has some great jazz trios that I checked out on his website. We can talk a little bit more about that, um, Jordan. But uh, I'm so glad that you knew Jacob and you could bring him on for today's episode. Jacob, we are so excited to be able to chat with you today. Thanks so much for making the time and sitting down for this really great discussion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Austin. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, wonderful. So um, we definitely want to get into some background. So, Jordan, um, I know that you and Jacob, how do you guys originally know each other? So we went to Brigham Young University together. We both were vocal performance majors. And we sang in operas, like, I remember being in Manon together. That was a blast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, that was my that was my debut as a tenor, I think it was. That's right. So. I remember you're like a character tenor or something, uh-huh. right? <laughs> like I remember. The high, high notes are too hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. It was fun. <laughs> what a life. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so much fun. But I thought we'd start maybe, Jacob, by talking about how you got into music in general. So before we met at Brigham Young. Oh, all right. Amazing. Um, well, so um, born and raised down in Houston, um, there's this this choir, a boys a boys choir um, called the Fort Ben Boys Choir. My mom, my mom's a singer too, and she she kind of noticed that I that I could sing and that I really enjoyed it, and she and she kind of made it so that I could um, go and audition. I remember that audition. I. <laughs> Um, the director actually, he told me, so like, basically I sang a song and then, uh, and then the director was like, we got to get rid of all of that vibrato you have, but other than that, you'll be good. (laughs) It was just kind of hilarious. Um, because I was only like eight years old, but I was listening to my mom all the time and I, and my mom had vibrato. She like kind of sing like jazz and R&B yeah, and all that ask. and cool. yeah so like so like because of that I kind of added this vibrato to my eight-year-old sound somehow <laughs> I, I mean to this day I don't know how I manage that but anyway hey, how would you know any different yeah yeah, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> exactly that's I did what my mom did yeah. yeah really I wanted to sound like my mom and then my grandparents on my mom's side were musicians um they met um, while going to uh, going to LSU, they sang in the a cappella choir there, and that's how they met. And and so basically, I grew up kind of hearing my family just kind of sing, and um, mostly on my mom's uh, mom's half of the family. And then then I joined that choir, the Fort Bend Boys Choir. Um, and then when I got to high school, I took. It took music a little more seriously, and down in Texas, um, maybe y'all know this, like the all-state um, kind of choir process down in Texas is insane. Yeah, it's um, next level compared yeah. to yes. other states. I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. It's like very serious. Like people go to camps over the summer, and there are multiple rounds, and you sing behind a sheet so the judges can't see you. They can only hear you, and they make you like sight read and it's and it's like totally totally timed and you have to sing to these tracks and it's like totally nuts and i got into that and i got very serious about that because i heard like hey if you do this well you might be able to go go to college for music and get a scholarship and i was like well i mean i'm not that academic so like this might be my way to you know go to college do that whole thing um, and, uh, and then that, uh, because I made all s- state choir like a couple times, I did musical theater, um, I won some awards in, in high school for that. Um, and, 
was writing a lot of songs too in high school, um, went on to BYU and I majored in music, majored in vocal performance as Jordan said. And like, I really thought I wanted to be an opera singer and, uh, but, uh, but I really loved writing, uh, writing songs and improvising and playing piano. And so that kind of, kind of became, uh, kind of turned into the career I have now as, uh, like a singer, piano player guy. Um, so that's kind of my background in a nutshell. I was just going to ask why you decided to go into vocal performance. I know you did the, the choir route, so that feeds pretty directly into into a classical vocal performance setting, but you're already writing and, I mean, you play piano incredibly well. Uh, why did you go for a vocal performance degree? Oh, um, well, um, that's interesting. I appreciate the compliment um, with my piano. Um, like, I never really thought I was a good piano player, um, but I really enjoyed it, and... Um, uh, like I didn't even really think I would audition as as uh, like a, a piano performance uh, major or like a, I don't know I know jazz a, a piano that wasn't even on my radar at all. Um, but uh, but I just kind of thought because I did the classical kind of choir um, the kind of things in high school and um, because I liked. Musical theater that was more, I guess, legit and like more golden age. I thought that kind of lent itself to majoring in opera. And I looked at the bios of like people I really looked up to, like, I don't know, Anthony Warlow was one or like, um, that was actually the main one, Anthony Warlow. Um, and I saw that he did opera, but he also did musical theater, and that's what he was known for. And I was like, you know, maybe I should just go major in opera. I could get that that training. I could have the fallback of being a professor. Um, and uh, But I really, like, probably in the end, I want to do musical theater, and um, like, and then I like. There was a few years I kind of abandoned, like writing, writing music. I didn't abandon it completely, but it was on the back burner as I was just really trying to learn how to be be a classical singer. Which, as you know, oh my gosh, it takes a lot of commitment and hours, and wow. And so, really glad I did it. Like, I don't think it was a diversion. I think it was um, really good to practice that. But um, but uh, but I found out after a couple of years in, in college th- that I wasn't going to be an opera singer. And I began uh, to look at other options. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, I think that's a really good segue. You, I, I mean, you went through this path. You figured out your strengths and what you were truly interested in. And then you found this amazing space, which is, I think, kind of the the big part of the conversation, which is the the gigging, the event space, the uh, uh, songwriting, you know, a lot of a lot of really cool things that I feel like singers were doing, you know, almost every day, whether, you know, we do a lot of the coaching and the teaching work, which is, I think, a large part of the um, of the performer's life uh, right now, you know, at our age, I would say. Um, and then the other part is, you know, Jordan, I remember, and, and Jacob, I'm sure you remember, you know, going to grad school and undergrad is this, you know, you get like a, a, a poster on the wall that says, Hey, call these numbers. If you want to be a, a wedding singer or a, you know, sing at funerals or sing in church or uh, sing at parties or restaurants, you know, corporate events and stuff like that. And so I think it's really, really cool to, I don't know, I'm curious, you know, how, what's that story? How did you get involved in the event space? How did you grow your bookings and your network in New York? Like, that's like a big deal. You know, you're the guy that people call. So like, I'm, that's what I'm really curious about. Yeah. Um, wow. So, um, so like right off the bat, I've got to say that like, I couldn't have really, really imagined this when I was going to college, like what I would be doing now. I mean, all I knew was that 
that I wanted to do music and every time I got some kind of other job like be it like as a salesman or whatever I was like okay I absolutely have to do music like this is what I want to do and that's all I knew I just knew I wanted to do music and I had to find a way to make money doing it and um, where I was in Utah um, like I thought of doing um, musical theater but there was really only like one or two um, really theaters in Utah that would pay you to like do shows um, and uh, that wasn't going to be it, at least for the time being. While my wife was going to BYU still, um, completing her degree. And so I was like, you know what? I know how to play the piano a little bit. I took a jazz piano course while I was in college. I bet that I could go out and maybe try to gig and so I got together this trumpet player and a bass bass player and like we just kind of began to play songs and uh, um, there were some gigs that we did for free actually to just kind of get our feet wet and then like we told everybody so I don't I knocked a lot of doors honestly I knocked on like the door of every Italian restaurant that was in Orem or Provo, Utah. <laughs> I'm not kidding, guys. And uh, and and like I would call, I would email, and you know what's interesting? Um, like like I never had a lot of success with like um, the call this number and like turn in your videos and we're gonna book you with work. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I. I contacted a couple of agencies and they just, they kind of ghosted me. I mean, like, not upset about it at all. I mean, like, I moved on from it. But, like, but that wasn't the way that I got in. And, um, uh, really, I knocked on a lot of, knocked on a lot of doors and I was just kind of obsessive about, um, like, well, um, like if I saw an opportunity or even like um, uh, the chance of an opportunity, I would like go knock on the door or just ask, like, do you do live music here? Have you thought about doing live music here? Um, like, I don't know, like walking around downtown, like when I lived in Salt Lake, um, there was an art gallery that I just walked by one day and I just knocked on their door and asked like do you ever have your art shows with music and they said oh no we haven't but that's an awesome idea and then the, that became a thing or like um uh really the biggest the biggest gig I got when I lived in Utah um there was a uh, there was a posting online. Um, it was on Indeed.com, and I was kind of looking there a lot because I was at a job right out of college, working as a salesman over the phone. I sold credit repair. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it was a very interesting job um, it, it, because if you have a bad credit, I don't think you should pay for credit repair. I think you should just build your credit. But like. <laughs> But nonetheless, that's where I was right out of right out of college and a music degree. That's kind of what happened. So, um, but uh, um, but I was kind of looking for jobs all the time, and um, and uh, and then up popped on Indeed.com this job as uh, the jazz pianist in the Salt Lake Airport. And um, like I saw it a few minutes after they posted it up online. I was the first one to apply. I went in the next day. I played like one or two chords and they were like, all right, you got the job. Like they weren't musicians <laughs> at all, you know? <laughs> and like maybe that was a good a good thing. So like this was, uh, let's see, this was maybe two two and a half years ago or something. And I was like... I mean, uh, like I played the piano, but like I said, I was a vocalist that just kind of played the piano because I liked it. And, and like I knew a lot of songs in my head, but I hadn't really, really translated them onto the um, the keyboard yet. And so like um, when I got that job, literally I played for like maybe 
maybe four to six hours a day, Monday through Saturday, just at the, the piano. I got to like, oh. like learn tons of songs. I got to meet a lot of people. And then like that turned into these other gigs too, because people would, would come up and say, hey, do you do this? Do you do that? And then I would say, no, it actually, I'm a singer. And then like that would become a thing. And um, one of my favorite gigs I had in Utah was in Park City. Um, at this, at this, uh, uh, steakhouse called Prime, um, that one I got because there was a singer that was in the airport and like, like she just walked up to the piano and we kind of duetted for a second. And then I sang a little bit and one of the people that, that worked at, at that place in Park City came up and said, hey, you're really good. Um, there's a vacancy at this restaurant. Do you want to work there? And like, it was one of my favorite places I've ever played even till this day, you know, um, and, and that was just cause I was playing a piano at the airport and then that turned into other things. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of how you built it. Um, but, um, but you asked about, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it sounds like there's a, a lot of hustle involved. Um, yeah. what I wanted to ask you about that is what, what would you show these people? So when you, when you'd go and you'd say, Hey, do you do live music? Um, would you give them a link to a, a video that you've recorded? Um, what what would you offer these people? Um, um, so uh, very early on, before I had any videos, I would just say, hey, um, mind if I come in and play like a couple of songs for you? Or like um, they would take my word for it. Very seldom, though. So, like, yes. So, like, a lot of times I would go send him a video. And nowadays, you, like, have to have good videos. Okay, nowadays. It's only a couple years later. It's, like, the same world, really. But, like, <laughs> but where I'm at right now, it's, like, like I've got to send a video. Um, and I've got, got two videos that are kind of my go-tos that are really good. And then, then I'll probably update them soon because it's good to have a lot of content but like um yeah i mean i just yeah people ask for like can we hear you and then they just want to hear a video and that's that's that yeah i mean it seems like the barrier to entry is is there's not much of a barrier to entry if you want to get into this like if you if you have the chops and you're ready to go perform it's really about knocking the doors and having maybe a quick calling card just like a video just a small small video to show what you can do or just perform right there. But it's it's really about the hustle, sounds like. Yeah, 100%. Jacob, one one thing I wanted to, to mention, I, I think it's important to take a, a, a real nugget out of the story that you just spoke about because I, we, we talk about, you know, what makes a quote-unquote successful singer navigating this new 21st century life, right? What, what does that mean? That's really what, you know, the holistic voice is, is all about. I think that your story encapsula encapsulates what um, a potential avenue for success means. Like you were saying, the bulletin postings you call and then they never get back to you is like, the traditional way and if you and if you kind of extrapolate that into a lot of the ways that people apply to things like these big databases where you apply for these all these potential job offerings or all these different things and then you never hear back you could apply to all these different companies right but you then take the next step that i think a lot of people don't do whether they're discouraged or not and you make an opportunity to collaborate and include your music. And I like I thought the art gallery example is like the perfect like success as a musician example because I think the next step is let let me create music with you in this space and then once you do that for enough time you meet enough people and then success follows you. Like you create this success for yourself as you you know you have these concerts or you have these these shows and then you follow it up with other people hearing you and saying, oh, yeah, there's an opening at this place. They love you. And then everybody else hears you. And then it's kind of like this momentum of success for you. I, and I just loved that because that is a 
case in point about why hustle then leads to potentially uh, success that you were talking about. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy to, um, you, you know, and um, the one thing I was was kind of reminded of the way you were talking, Austin, is like um, one thing always kind of leads to another. Like when I got here to New York and I didn't really have anything on the calendar, I literally I took just everything I could get at first. I mean, I've only been here like um, basically nine months now. I got here while it was the pandemic still. And mm. so like, so like a lot of my work was, um, was, uh, just out, just outside of the city, like New Jersey and whatnot. But I took just about everything I could. And, um, like I just kind of had in mind eventually, like, um, people are going to refer me, they'll call me. And, um, like there's a gig I took. I remember it very vividly. It was a Christmas gig and um and it was kind of like um uh like it was a little out there and it was um uh so like basically i was like all right do i want to do this it was with a violinist and um like i was um uh very happy to do it but um but like we were just going to kind of throw it together last minute and and like go do it even though like we were both really good it was like ah uh, no it's not an ideal kind of a gig but but we're gonna do it and then like um like a month later um like i get this call from from this lady that wanted to book me at at this restaurant um uh because i played that gig so like it was literally a friend told a friend told a friend and then um um, now i play at that restaurant like every week they really love me i love them and like they refer me to all of their friends it's like crazy like i do um do events i feel like every week because of that place and like the fact that they refer me and i just love them to love them to pieces. I play there every Tuesday night. It's called um, it's called Uncorked. It's in Totowa, New Jersey. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it was like a thing of you know I'm gonna do as much as I can when I get to New York, and then eventually, um, uh, like I'll have a lot of more consistent work which is what i was mostly looking for of course um um now i'm actually like booked out almost every night and it's a real blessing can you talk to us about what a typical typical day looks like or typical night um for an event i I mean usually i'm sure you're self-sufficient in the equipment that you bring you know how do you cater a set list what do you wear i mean i mean all the ins and outs of those different things in in a gig yeah um so like normally you can plan on probably playing maybe two to four hours um restaurants are always they're almost always longer. So like, um, maybe three to four hours at a restaurant or, or like a wine bar or whatever. Um, and like, depending on the gig, like there are gigs, I show up like maybe 10 minutes before because the setup's all good and I know what I'm doing. And then there are, there are gigs like weddings, um, where I show up like, probably two hours before because wedding is a one time you get one shot and it's got to be perfect. So, um, so, uh, depending on the gig, there's more pressure involved or whatnot. And, um, yeah, then in terms of my setup, um, because I'm a pianist, I mean, whenever there's a real piano involved, I'm extremely happy because it means I just have to show up and um, maybe bring a microphone and a little amplifier. Um, like um, uh, uh, there's uh, there's a few different brands of amplifiers that are good, but but just as long as like you have an amplifier, a microphone, like that's decent. Like the microphone I use is just an SM 
58, you know, the Shure SM58, right? Mm. Um, very generic, and it does the job. And I Yeah, and just while we're on it, uh, you were saying the Bose S1 is really good for for an amplifier, right? Just for those yeah, that are listen, yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Bose S1 is awesome. I've been, been using it. I just actually bought one for like... Eh, and it eh, and it works very well, and I researched it a ton because I play the keyboard. It's better for the keyboard, but um, but lots of guitarists they like the Cube by Roland. I hear that's that's really good. It's also crazy light, and um, what's nice about both of those amplifiers is that um, uh. They have mixers built in and like they have reverb and all that on them. So like that's nice. But but I use a mixer even even though I have the S1, I use a mixer. Just a little Yamaha, little tiny rig. Why is um, that? Um, I don't I think it improves the sound a little bit. I think it does. Um, is that just because you like the, the effects a little better? Like the reverb effects on the mixer or... Yeah, the reverb's a little bit bit better, eh, and I think that like um, just adding a preamp might affect the sound a little bit. I don't know. I'm not an audio engineer at all, but I just um, uh, the past couple times I've used the S1, um, like I tried using a mixer on it, and um, like I felt like the sound was a little bit better, eh, and I think I got a little bit more volume without it peaking, which was good. Um, so. Uh, yeah, that's my take on it. Um, Love it. Like mixer-wise, I might go get an iRig Pro. I've been thinking about that. They're so small. and uh, um, But I don't know. I'd have to try that out. I've heard really good things. Yeah, I'm planning on if people just want to uh, geek out about gear real quick yes. on the podcast. Yes, um, please. Let's geek out, please. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting the, the Mackie Pro. Um, it's like a version 3 with 6 oh. input. Um, either the six or the ten. I'm still not sure which one I want to do there. Okay. If you do the ten, you get a few more different options. Like you can um, work with. There's a three band EQ system, so you can work with low, medium, high, instead of just. Uh, I think it's just low and high. Low and high. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, um, and then there's a few other. Oh, there's like a compressor straight on the the mixer, which is pretty oh, sweet. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's for the ten. Um, so it's like 230 for that one. And 150 for the other, so it might be worth the extra, extra cash. So that's really good to hear from you because I was I was looking at um, amps too because I've got a really old Yamaha Stage Pass which was like 12 years ago and it's okay, but um, I'd love to get something like the the Bose S1 because it's so small, it's battery powered, so you really don't that's need huge. much. Yeah. yeah. And the battery life is awesome. It's like eight hours. I, so like I did a gig yesterday and, and I didn't even have to plug in. It's it, like it's very nice and it's very small. Yeah. And um, it's like that's enough. Yeah. Like if you're playing more than eight hours, you need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Tell that to the next person that asks me to play for eight hours. I'm just yeah. kidding. I don't ever do that. That's yeah. insane. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah, what I about mean, I guess you're probably doing okay. something close to that at the airport. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. I would do six hours every now and then. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. What, other, what, are, what have been some of the um, most interesting venues that you've performed at? So you said airports. Um, what other places? Oh, wow. I mean, playing in people's homes is always interesting, believe it or not. Because you enter a new world, you know what I mean? Um, mm. Like in New York, there are so many different kinds of cultures and things. Um, and like um, not only like cultures ethnically, but just like the cultures in terms of the way that people live. And uh, that's been very interesting. Mm. But I think that you were asking a different question. <laughs> um, no, that's cool. So like, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, and so like basically... Uh, the airport it was interesting. I met a lot of really interesting people. Um, there's a venue I play at like a couple times a week in New York. It's called Mimi's. It's on uh, the east. Uh, it's on the east side of Midtown. Um, it's on Second Avenue and Fifty Second. Um, very cool place. It's been around for like over fifty years, and. Um, 
they have the coolest <laughs> clientele, honestly. Like, um, uh, there are people that have been going there for like over 30 years, you know, and uh, they're, they're a neighborhood people. Like, like, when you think about New York in a movie, that's Mimi's. <laughs> it's like, it's like exactly what you think of New York. And like, um, uh, they're, they're just... The people there are New Yorkers. The people that go there are New Yorkers. It's not a touristy <laughs> kind of spot. And um, very interest, very interestingly, the gypsy community, um, that's like their hangout spot or like one of them. And so like I've gotten t- to play for like um, lots of different kinds of people ranging from like the gypsies that own a lot of psychic um, spots like you know the palm readers and everything in New York or like um, or, or like or, uh, or people that were on uh, like that were in the original Broadway cast of Hello Dolly or like wow. um, just just people that um, they might they might have been like uh, like the manager for some like very very famous Hollywood actor or like they're the music director for Sutton Foster or something like that and and they just kind of walk into this bar and it's their hangout and it's chill and I'm just there kind of playing the piano and um, anyway I like really really love that that gig a lot and um and it's an interesting kind of place i literally never know what it's going to be like depending on the night and um that's always an awesome feeling question for um rates and things like that for singers that are starting off trying to do this uh, what variables would you say go into to figure out what rate you should set um and how to advocate for yourself yeah yeah um, yeah, well, that's a big one. That's something I'm um, definitely constantly evaluating too. Um, the way uh, one time I had a conversation with um, uh, the uh, um, one of my mentors at the University of Utah that I went to. I was only there for like a few months, honestly. I didn't even get a degree from there or anything. But um, but one of my mentors there, we had this conversation, and he was like, "What would you charge?" for an event where they want you to yada 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 and I then I told him my price and like before I even like basically finished telling him my price he said okay double that number interesting right Hmm. so like so like so basically I think that that we as musicians because we love it we tend to kind of undervalue ourselves sometimes Um, or like either that or we completely overshoot it and we don't don't realize the situation. Um, so like what I would say is like um, most of the time, like like if I approach a person, if I approach a restaurant or whatever, it's more like, okay, what are you guys already doing with the musicians you have? Or like, what are you thinking? What do you have in mind? And then we kind of find a middle ground. And I know like um, – what I make now and it's like kind of different based on the venues I play at I mean if you play mostly bars um, that might be different than if you play like mostly like very luxury restaurants you know and so like that's kind of kind of something you figure out um, and um, then also then also uh, then if you think about if like like tips are going to be involved um, really, I always kind of keep a pulse on like, okay, what are tips like at this place? Um, uh, and um, like, like, and I know like what what I should be making a night in order for it to be worth my time, and um, that's something I've just kind of figured out over time. Um, uh, and uh, there, there's some gigs I've walked away from because it's like hey i know that i'm worth a little bit more than this um uh and but but that's restaurants um but uh but private events uh there's a lot of factors involved and uh like you can base it like maybe totally on 
your time. Like, okay, you say like, I don't know, I'm X amount of dollars an hour. There are people that say I'm $100 an hour, I'm $200 an hour, I'm $300 an hour. Um, there are people that um, uh, they say like, this is my minimum, like this is my minimum kind of price. If I'm gonna show up and do anything, I wanna, wanna have the base $500. And and um, and and then after that, if we go beyond like two hours or something, then uh, then I charge X or something like that. Um, and it just just kind of depends. And I get that method because I mean, if you're learning any new music for the gig, that's time. And then also, if you think about a wedding, for example, you show up a couple of hours early. You maybe learned a few new songs for them. Um, you may have had to like basically travel a while. Like, I mean, I know like, um, like a lot of my weddings are pretty, pretty out there. Um, like you need to, to account for like all of that. It's not only the time that you play music. Um, and, um, um, that's what, what you gotta, gotta consider when doing a private event. Um, that being, being, being said though, I mean, at first, I would would take as many private events as I could because I wanted to just be out and playing and things like that and like like interestingly I mean maybe you take a few maybe lower lower paying kinds of gigs at first and then like once you've done a few of them you have the confidence of basically saying like hey it costs me a lot of money to travel there and I'm extremely good at what I do and like you're going to love it and everybody that I play for like they love it like that's something that I can absolutely tell you once you have that confidence it's a little more easy to say like hey this is my price I can't really budge on it that much but I mean it's always a negotiation and I think you've got to learn that and I've read tons of books on like negotiation and sales um like like that's become very very important I mean I'm not like a sales guru by any means and like what I've learned about sales is like <laughs> what you think of it if you think like the sales uh the sales mindset is like uh like Harold Hill and uh Glenn Gary Glenn Ross or whatever that movie is like like that's not the the way you need to approach uh being a salesperson in a way. I, I mean, I just have conversations with people and I have their interest in mine, and, uh, but I also have my interests and I'm very honest whenever there's a moment like, okay, so this is a little like, um, um, that wouldn't really work for me because of X and X and X. Can you make it work? I'm just honest with people and um, never being worried to like walk away um, but also there, there are people that maybe they're a friend of a friend and I want to like just do their wedding no matter what, or like, um, they're a venue that's a friend of a friend and I'm like, okay, I just want to, want to help out or whatever. Um, then I'll be a little more flexible, but I never lose money now. Um, that's kind of <laughs> the end all be all. I mean, like, like this is, a. Uh, career this is how this is how i this is how i feed my family <laughs> so like uh that's always in mind sure um quickly on that you mentioned doing weddings all over the place and i was looking at your your website and it's you're not kidding like you're going all over the US i know you're coming to the to LA next week and hopefully we're going to meet up and write a song or something but yes, um yes. yeah super stoked for that we are but um yeah, how is that happening? How are you getting these gigs across the United States? Yeah, you're going from like Mass to Illinois to to Arizona to holy cow! I mean, that all, yeah, that kind of that kind of evolved, and I moved to New York, and then that happened. So I don't know how <laughs> that works, but yeah. but that's kind of how it happened. Um, like I just um. Um, one of my friends is a wedding planner, and um, uh, and um, they book me across the nation often, um, and but also locally. 
Um, okay, so be but, friends with a wedding planner. Yeah, yeah so like, great. so like, um, being friends with a wedding planner is awesome, and I love them. Um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, Rachel Ellen Events, they're they're incredible. If you're planning a wedding, I'm gonna put a plug. Like, you've got to call Rachel Ellen Events. They they do an amazing job. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so like, uh, they refer me to uh, to a lot of their clients. Um, and then I also, um, like I'm on a few booking websites as well. And that's how I get a lot of the local weddings. Um, and then the weddings in Chicago, I have, uh, there's an event, the planner I work with out there that I, that I called up again, I called him up and said, Hey, you know, um, and, uh, and then he refers me to some people and, uh, and then also it's word of mouth. So like I do a wedding down in Arizona and then there's a person there that their, their daughter's getting married in LA and they say, Hey, I think you're great. I would really love to have you at this wedding. Do you ever go to LA? And the, the answer is yes. And then I go, you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, and that's kind of become a fun kind of thing. I actually really enjoy weddings. I know there's a lot of jokes about being a wedding singer and how it's not very glamorous or whatever, or like there's an Adam Sandler movie and all that. But, but like, I love it because they're the happiest days. Like people are just happy to be there. They love the music. They love you because they chose you. They could have like, there was a lot of other musicians that they could have chosen, but they chose you to be there. And like, so like, I feel awesome that I get to share in that joy and that they enjoy it. Um, and uh, so, so anyway, that's kind of how the, the weddings have worked. That's Wonderful. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, Jacob. I, I really appreciate you um, giving us a glimpse into the exciting life that you have going on. Uh, I wanted to ask, um, you know, Jordan, you might have a couple more questions, but really my my big final one is what advice would you have for aspiring singers um, that might have been in your spot years ago, just starting off in the industry? Mm. I would say um, you've got to obsess about what it is you what it is you're doing um, because no one no one's really gonna hand you anything um, like at least that's what I've really felt um, like I wasn't the like like I didn't win the Metropolitan uh, Metropolitan Opera Council auditions. I didn't like um, get cast in a big like a big show that launched my career or anything. Um, it, like it really was the hustle, and I think really even like the people I see around me that are that are maybe like they're kind of semi famous honestly here in New York. Like the people I see, like they just hustle and um and uh like i mean that in a very very good way like being obsessive about what you do in a good way just like just constantly be thinking about it constantly wondering okay how can i make my website better how can i make my image better um um where can i go to get a job like like at the end of the day like where am i gonna go to get get work as a musician. I love this so much and and like in a way we're already kind of obsessed with music or else we wouldn't have majored in music or wanted to become a singer anyway. So like we have to take that obsession that we have about music and just just apply it to like basically making money with it. Um, and and like that's a good, um, uh, very much a good, very much a positive kind of a thing. Um, making money as a musician, uh, um, it's not like a sellout kind of a thing or like anything to be um, be ashamed of at all. I think really obsessing about how can I go out and share um, what it is I love with other people and be compensated for it. Um, that's something that I constantly obsess about. And I think um, like being obsessive about it is how you end up making it, making it basically work in your own way. 
I love the idea of healthy obsession for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, we hear the word hustle a lot, and a lot of people, when they hear the word hustle, immediately feel exhausted, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but if you think of it as something that's renewing and exciting, um, it's just that reframe. You know, I'm, I'm reading, a, to, to plug another book, I'm reading a book by Lynn Helding, who is a professor at USC on uh, the musician's mind. And she talks about a bunch of like neuroscience and how it um, relates to musicians. And she talks about um, performance anxiety and getting up on stage and how to deal with that. Um, you know, that's, I mean, it's a pretty common thing, but if you're not feeling anything before you go out on stage, that's, that's probably more scary than, than feeling stuff beforehand, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just figuring out how to channel that healthily. Um, moving it from I'm nervous, oh, I'm going to forget everything, you know, to more I'm really excited right now, you know. So totally. I love that idea, applying that to the hustle and towards the the, the money making aspect of music, because that's a part of it. If you want to be able to, to sustain yourself and continue to create, you need to fulfill those those needs you have. Oh, yeah. So like I was just going to say, like, like, I mean. Um, um, there are times that we like, like personally, I like every now and then I fall into the trap of just going on Instagram and like kind of looking at these other musicians that are ahead of me or whatever, you know what I mean? But like, but if you take even that energy and like you go to, go to thumbtack or to like, or like, or just like maybe other like, um, like booking websites or something and you obsess over like, okay, how can I make my profile maybe a little bit better so that, that people will hire me for like this gig or something. Um, like just doing whatever you can to like, to channel the energy in your favor rather than maybe getting kind of down on yourself um, because it can go either way. Um, but it's way better when it goes and it goes in your direction, I think. Absolutely. Um, well, Jordan, I think that was a great episode. We have a lot of information from that. Um, really, really good conversation. I'm so glad that you brought uh, Jacob into my life, into our life on The Holistic Voice. Um, we really appreciate, Jacob, uh, you being on the show and just chatting with us a little bit about your life. Really, thank you for spending the time with us. Okay, well, Austin, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all we have for today's show. To find out more information about this incredible performer, this incredible hustler, head to jacobkhalil.com, or we're going to post some stuff in the uh, uh, podcast description too. So, of course, you can find all the fun links um, and, and hear more information about him as he progresses through that. So be sure to follow The Holistic Voice on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website holisticvoice.net for the latest info. Thank you so much. And uh, of course, always send us your reactions, questions you have, and topics that you want to hear for our next episode. We'll see you next time on The Holistic Voice.